you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Well, welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. Here with not only one guest, but two guests. And this has only happened a few times in the history of the podcast, but it's always exciting. And so we have Parker Smith with us from Yee Yee and from other places, I'm sure. But uh, primarily known to, I guess, our audience as Parker Smith of Yee Yee Apparel. Mm -hmm. And we have somebody else with us, though. We have a guest. So normally it's just you and me, and we a dialogue, and you ask a lot of questions, and I ask questions, and we get into it. But this time we have Amy. We have Amy Smith, uh, <laughs> also now of Yee Yee, I suppose. And, uh, and so it's exciting to have both of you here uh, because we get to explore the scriptures and see several different facets of it. Uh, the times where I've gotten to have multiple guests, it's cool to see the ways that different people are seeing things and exploring things. And so with the new guest, Amy, uh, we, we like to kind of get an idea of your history with the Bible because the goal of this is that we would simply take and read the scriptures, that we would wrestle with those scriptures and allow them to do their work in us because we believe that God through his spirit and his word shapes us into the image of his son Christ. And so I like to see what what have people's experiences been. So if you can think back, like what was your like earliest experience with the Bible? What was that like maybe growing up in your home, that kind of thing? I grew up Catholic, so the Bible was uh, beautiful. Like physically big. pretty. It was it was physically pretty. Okay. Um like cream and gold and oh, writing yeah. and sat um on like this little holder and then it got put on a bookcase and i remember sometimes um on christmas my mom would pull it out and read a little bit otherwise my only experience with the bible until i got to college was just going to mass so you would you grew up in a in a home where the bible was considered important and mm -hmm. in the sense that you would have a bible it was a family bible it was on display or it was held in high regard mm -hmm. and, and stored somewhere. And then your experience with the scriptures would be Sunday at Mass. Yes. Where a priest would kind read of it. read it mm -hmm. and explain it to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you grew up Catholic. Grew up Catholic. Right on. Yeah. So uh, then you said in college things changed for you. Yes. How and why did those, did it change? Um, I stopped going to Mass my freshman year of college. Was that kind of difficult? No. Okay. Um, I went one time. I told my mom I was going to go. Um, I also had games on Sundays. So when I first got to college, I just was like traveling or too busy. So I couldn't make it work to go to church. By games, you mean volleyball games. Yes. So you played volleyball in college. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and one time I went and I remember like, there's so many young people, so many college students. It was like very vibrant. And I thought, okay. And I'd never went back. Um, 
my team was full of God-fearing women. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, they were definitely um, taking me under their wing, meeting me where I was. They were like, there's more over here, Amy. There's so much more. And we started a Bible study, and I, uh, so they gave me a Bible. Okay. And um, I still have it. But uh, they gave me this Bible, and I never read it on my own, never did anything with it, except when we were in Bible study. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until after I was saved, um, which was in 2015, uh, 2016, sorry. And then I started, got, got the Jesus Bible. <laughs> yeah. And then I started actually reading it, but still would kind of fall asleep sometimes or just didn't really understand what I was reading. Yeah. Um, and then just kept going, though, you know, just yeah. didn't stop. And then my friend, one of my best friends, Amanda, she was like, have you ever considered doing a commentary, like having a commentary next to you right. instead of just only dialoguing with myself or with a friend? And that was really helpful. Okay. So I've been, I do that too. So you will take along with your Bible and your time there, you'll have maybe a, a companion source or a commentary, somebody who has spent time studying that and has kind of put down their thoughts as to what those things mean. Yeah. Okay. Just the, like the deeper mm -hmm. um, messages yeah. or underlying things that maybe I don't get, like the Greek or something like that. Yeah. That, they can go deeper. Now I kind of read it. Um, and then if I have questions, I will go to the commentary okay. more so yeah. instead of just having it there. Yeah. A lot of people will find great benefit in a study Bible of sorts. And so that will serve as, cause I mean, the same thing, the commentary or the notes that are kind of embedded in the, in the footnotes of the text. So yeah, that's great. So now what does your time, Parker, we're going to give you a chance to talk here in a minute. Just so you, people do know that you're here, can you just like give a give a shout out? Hey, or... how's everybody doing out there? <laughs> okay, so yeah, Parker is actually here, uh, and he will get a chance to talk. Um, so now, when you spend time in the Word, what does that look like? What is it a every morning? Is it sometime during the day? Do you have a special spot, special beverage? And the listening audience probably wants to know if it is in the morning. Does brushing your teeth play a role at any point in that? Okay. That's so, kind of an inside joke. So, yeah. yes. I brush my teeth and then have coffee. <laughs> and you're not supposed to brush them after because you'll get cavities. What? Yes. Says who? My old dentist oh, in San Antonio. <laughs> unbelievable. I want to know the science behind that. Yeah. I, I think you're actually not supposed to drink coffee right after you brush anyway because the pH in your mouth um the acidity of so the everybody's wrong starts here. to decay your teeth but i'm not a dentist there you go i was okay. just told that anyway um i wake up i first thing i do is go to the bathroom it's been eight hours brush my teeth um then i pray um after i pray i grab my belongings go to a spot uh it's usually the grab same. Grab your belongings. Hold up here. Like, like you I got guess. a suitcase. What are you? <laughs> I grab my Bible. I grab my go. journal. I grab any my pencils. Girls just always need supplies. With <laughs> yeah. I are. just have this like <laughs> she's ready for like her bug out bag. Like she's ready just in case. Like, like my she's water bottle. That's all been in the room. I got to uh, take it out with me. I travel in a pack. <laughs> <laughs> 
So then I get to my spot, um, make the coffee, bring it over, and just dive in. Yeah. Do you have a reading plan or anything that you find as kind of a guide that right helps now you I'm plan doing out? a McShane? Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing four chapters a day. Mm-hmm. Two from the old, two from the new. Yes. Okay. And you do them all at one time, all one sitting. I do them 99% of the time, all at one time. Yeah. yeah. There's a great, uh, we've, we've talked about the McShane uh, reading plan here, and there's a great resource uh, that utilizes that uh, that's by a great theologian, D.A. Carson. And I think it's called For the Love of God. And it takes the McChain, and then every day he'll just kind of two to three paragraph on one of the four chapters from the reading that day and just give some some cool insight and mm. food for thought. It's a really helpful resource. In fact, I'm trying to think. I may, it right here. I may have it over here. Uh, yeah. I'll uh, Maybe I'll link to it or something. Yeah. So it's called For the Love of God by D.A. Carson. Great resource. The times that I've gone through the McChain, I've always had a copy of that. And he has two volumes so that if you do it year after year, you'll get two rounds of his thoughts anyway. All righty. Uh, so... Four chapters a day, and then is there any kind of journaling that takes place or Bible memory? You incorporate anything else? Yes, I could be better at journaling. Um, usually, I'm the best journaler at night. Okay. Before I go to bed, and not in that moment, um, mainly because I'm still thinking. Yeah. About what I just read, um, but I do try to i have some verses i'm memorizing mm-hmm. and i try to either rehearse or write them and that's like the same setting yeah parker are you a journaler we've never talked about that i am in the mornings okay yeah i started doing that uh three or four years ago before i was a believer and there's a ton of benefits i just did a gratitude journal yeah. and then kind of reaffirmed goals for that day and for that year and uh, like wrote down my purpose and that sort of thing. And then I've kind of, as I become a believer, I've translated that to, uh, I still do gratitude, which is awesome. Just three things I'm grateful for to start the day. And then I will go through, I'll, I'll go through my purpose and then I'll go through and I'll write out every verse that mm. you have me memorizing right now. And then lately what I've been doing also is writing out the bullet points of, uh, explaining the gospel. Yeah which has been super helpful for me to just be like, let me break down this gospel in 30 second increments and then maybe a two minute version and then just kind of practicing being able to, to yeah. summarize the gospel and for sure. what all this is. Um, something I'll recommend to you guys. This is not journaling, but it's kind of, I don't know if it's on or off track, but uh, when, when Shannon and I first got married, we, somebody else had told us to do this and we got a glass jar and we put it in the kitchen on the windowsill. And we would record uh, times when we were praying about something and there was a clear answer to prayer or provision of the Lord. And we would just, on different colored pieces of paper, we'd write a, that out and we would put it in the jar. And the hope was and the goal was that as those things started to pile up and the Lord answered prayer, as we, with our kids, would spend time praying with them about the Lord's provision, and then they would see the Lord do that. We could put those in there, and then over time they may say, "What? what's all the paper about? And we could pull out these instances where God had provided for us and, and answered prayer. 
And it would be kind of a, in the Old Testament, there's this uh, a couple of times where in Joshua, um, that he's told to go grab memorial stones and create a rock pile, and it's described as an Ebenezer. Uh, and so raising an Ebenezer was raising a rock pile of, of memorials so that your, the next generation will look at that rock pile and say, what's that pile of rocks for? And it was to remind that older generation, oh, that was, we put that there when the Lord did this for us. Mm. And so it was these physical items of remembrance. And so we had all these great intentions of this jar and these pieces, and we maybe put like six pieces of paper and then we had a bunch of kids. And so life got busy, but it's a really cool idea. And the one, the six pieces of paper we put in there are really good. And we tell those stories a lot. (laughs) So I would encourage you guys as you start your family to to think about that it's cool be really cool honestly that was a whole nother that was free that one you didn't have to pay for okay uh so here we we are at the take and read podcast and our goal is to simply take and read so uh, we get to jump into the scriptures and today we're going to try something different we've got three translations of the scriptures we've got an english standard version a christian standard uh, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, and then you've got an NIV. NIV, okay, the New International Version. So uh, it may be the case that we're able to then, as we read through this small section of Scripture, we'll see some nuance in maybe the phrasing, maybe different words. Th- those types of things will help us maybe unpack a little bit more. But our our goal is we're going to read it. We're going to make sure we understand what it says. We're going to wrestle with what it means, and in the meaning that we're looking for is what did it mean then when the author wrote it and for the people present, what does this mean? And then we'll wrestle with the significance, and that's where we as, as believers look at this. We read this many years later and say, okay, if this is what it means, how do I experience that meaning now? That's what the significance is for me. Oftentimes... I'll talk to people that they read the text and then they jump immediately to significance. What does this mean for me today? But I think it's important to go through those steps of what is everything here? What does it say? Therefore, now that I understand what it says, I can wrestle with what it means. And then how do I experience that meaning today? Because we know that the Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that his meaning meant something then and had it, the authors had an intent and so we want to explore and understand that before we jump to what does this mean for me today? Yeah, that's a good point. It's really easy to, to uh, read something and then just hear that almost like God's talking directly to you in those words specifically if he says like, uh, go go to them or something. Or yeah. any, and a lot of people will just put their finger on, I don't know, give me a random book, give me something, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like a one-off thing versus thinking about what's the context and wh- how can I dive deeper. Right. We want to avoid coming to the scriptures as though it's this little like um, book of, of, of pick-me-ups or like little inspirational quotes, mm-hmm. but understand there's, there's a much broader and deeper thing going on here as God is communicating who he is to us through this word, so... Granger always jokes. Sorry, Granger always jokes. Uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. When everybody, one that everybody quotes. Know he goes, "Have I you know. ever read Jeremiah twenty nine? <laughs> it is like terrifying. Yes, to lead up to that point. It's so interesting to see all the verses that lead up to that. But everyone just wants to. Do yeah, I mean that's the one that you give to people like 
that are graduating from high school or college for I know the plans I have for you. But to read that in the context of what the prophet Jeremiah is communicating from the Lord to God's people, it yeah, it's not a it yeah, twenty nine is not a very um uplifting compared to yeah. Alrighty. Um so we're gonna be in Mark chapter nine. And we're looking at just a a short little passage, 38 through 41. So Mark chapter 9, the Gospel of Mark. And we've been in the Gospel of Mark the entirety of this podcast so far. And we've we've traversed quite a bit of ground. And I, I continue to remind us that, again, this Gospel, the author is Mark, also known as John Mark. He, um... What we understand traditionally is that he is recording the teaching of Peter. And in doing this, we can understand that a lot of this is from Peter's perspective. So he, Peter being an eyewitness account, you know, of these different events and is recording what he himself experienced. And there's an intentional kind of structure to this thing. Like right away in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. From that point, from that first sentence, the rest of the gospel is his support of that statement. Like, this is why we can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The word Christ is is the the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. So it's it's this idea that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the prophesied one, the anointed one that was promised of old, the one that would deliver. And so he's kind of giving this case for the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, who physically lived and physically died and physically rose again, is in fact that one that was prophesied thousands of years earlier, right? And so he makes that case, and what happened in chapter 8 was kind of this high point where Jesus is beginning to demonstrate evidence of his kingship that he is bringing in uh, the kingdom of God and would give these little like episodes of what the kingdom is like. So he's healing people. He's driving out demons. He's calming storms. He is demonstrating this is what life is like in God's kingdom. He's showing compassion. And, uh, and so as he's doing that, that gets to this high point in chapter 8 when Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. He says, who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter responds, you're the Christ. And he's like, all right, now don't go tell anybody. (laughs) And then he starts to explain some things because it's taken all of that time for them to realize who he is, but they still have this framework of the Messiah is going to be a certain kind of person, maybe a military leader or a political leader is going to overthrow the Roman government and we're no longer going to be occupied by the Romans. And we're going to kind of go back to a place of prominence like the days of Solomon. You know, I mean, there was these thoughts as to what the Messiah was going to do. So some of his discussions with them is helping them understand and realign their expectations around what the Messiah really meant. So, as we kind of emerge from chapter 8 through chapter 9 and onward, we kind of we get more and more clarity on what the Messiah's game plan is, what Jesus came to do and how he's going to accomplish ultimately this kingship and the ushering in of this kingdom. And there's a point at which he, right after that confession of Peter, he says, 
well, the son of man must suffer and face rejection and ultimately die. And Peter's like, no way. Begins to rebuke him. And that's when Jesus says, look, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> like, so there was, the, he was starting to speak plainly to them. Like, now that you know I'm the Messiah, this is what has to happen. And they're like, no, 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 no. That's not how this goes. No, we win. We're on the winning team. We don't go in to lose. We go in to win. And they don't understand what winning looks like. They don't understand what victory for God's people looks like through the Messiah. So that's some of the stuff that's beginning to be revealed. All right, so we are in Mark chapter 9, verse 38. I'm reading from the ESV, and you guys obviously have those other translations. If you're following along uh, as you listen to this podcast, just take note of words or phrases that are a little different, and those might be things that you begin to explore on your own time. All righty. So John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. All right, we're going to stop there. Just a, just a little snippet. Okay, but there is a lot going on there. So we want to first understand... What is this saying? Are there words, ideas, things that need some, you know, some splaining? What do you guys see? Why do you think that, my first thought is, why do you think, how was someone driving out demons in the name of Jesus if he wasn't following us? Maybe he had just heard of them? Yeah, so I think that's a good question. What do we do with this person that they're referencing? So, I think one of the first things to recognize is there's an indication that there were people that clearly demonstrated a faith in Christ that maybe weren't a part of their group, right? Because think about how many crowds he's done things in front of yeah. and taught to. And, and so, what it shows here is that there is somebody not attempting to drive out demons, but is actually driving out demons in the name of Jesus, not in the name of anyone else, not using some sort of incense or incantation or anything like that. There's somebody actually driving out demons in the name of Jesus, which means they have faith in Jesus. Because as we've seen before, their de demonic um, yeah, exercising uh, requires faith. It requires faith in Christ. And there was one episode where Jesus, you know, they, they attempt to drive out a demon and they couldn't. And he was like, oh, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but we do see successful driving out of demons. There's another time where uh, somebody was claiming to have the power of Christ to drive out demons. And the demon responds, Jesus, I've heard of Paul, I've heard of who are you? and then overtakes that guy. So there's a danger in presuming to have that authority and then actually. And so what I see is that this is somebody who was a follower of Jesus. He just wasn't necessarily a part of their group. Mm. And so he's successfully driving out demons because it's through Christ and his faith in Christ to do that. So I, th I think that's a good question. Yeah, and the disciples didn't 
they literally tried to stop it. Like, no, 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 stop it, stop it. <laughs> yeah. You're not in our crew. You're not in our club. Like, there, this points to a lot of things that I think are exist in the the church today. The big C, like the the wider body of Christ where there's silos and loyalties that exist. Like, if you're in our brand of Christianity... No, there's some things here that I think maybe we can walk away with, but we'll get to significance later. All right, what else do we see? Amy, anything? Well, my is so different that when you were reading, I couldn't. Okay, like, yeah. What are some of the differences that it's happen? Just, it's no, it's just worded kind of like reverse. Like yeah. I think you said John said, but mine is like teacher said John. <laughs> like it's just so <laughs> as I was reading yeah. and you were talking out loud, I was like, oh man, I'm doing a lot of reversing <laughs> in my head. But it's nothing significant or important. So let me just reread it really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have. So this is an episode that happens between Jesus and his disciples. So it's good to kind of make sure we understand who's present. That's one of the first things that I try to do is kind of, okay, who's here? Who's who's in this episode? And you've got Jesus and you've got the disciples. They're talking about Somebody else who's kind of the subject here, like there's this guy out there and he's doing this thing. We try to stop him. And then that's when Jesus has to confront some of their assumptions. And so it's always good to, when we get to the meaning, what is the assumption that Jesus challenges that he has to now try to correct? Because that may give us insight into our, how we experience that meaning and, and maybe ways in which we have similar assumptions. That would be the challenge. But what else do you see in terms of, like, elements to this? He's casting out demons. They're trying to stop him. Um, but they're not because he is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. So I don't know that they actually shut it down or not. I have a lot of questions about this last part. Okay. Um, For the one who is not against us, that part? 39, sorry. Um, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. So, because it, when I first read through it, I thought, but wait a second, isn't there going to be false prophets and all of these things? Mm-hmm. So, so can't they technically say they believe in Jesus and cast out demons and do all these things? And so is he technically saying, like, this is one of my followers? Or is he just saying these people can do these things. They won't speak bad about me, but he's not necessarily saying like they're mine. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. I think that needs some explaining. Yeah. Parker, any thoughts? Um, Maybe the context. So mine says, because there's no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me for everyone who is not against us is for us. And so maybe he's talking about, Maybe not in this context is he talking about, like, yes, there are going to be a lot of people that claim the name of Jesus, but if someone is actually performing a miracle in that context in the name of Jesus and is driving out a demon, then in that context, in the very next moment, he's not going to speak evil because he was actually performing a miracle. It's it's some indication that this was genuine and authentic. Yeah, I think think that's the key. A house not divided against yep. itself. So yeah, it, it definitely brings for me this imagery of when people or the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of casting out demons and doing what he was doing. 
because he was working for Satan. Yeah. And that's when he talks about the unforgivable sin, blasphemy, right? Yeah. Because you're 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 saying that the works of God are actually the works of Satan and credit them to someone else. And so there is a similar idea that this is almost in reverse that statement that house divide like if someone's casting out demons in the name of Christ and then says, Well, no, we're really working for the you know, the dark lord or whatever, like that doesn't make sense. That they would be working against themselves. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think this one of the things that this is pointing at is the nature of how we measure authenticity in something, right? That this individual is casting out demons specifically in the name or by the authority of Jesus, which can only be done through faith in Jesus and belief in who he is. And we see that it's bearing fruit because it is effectively driving out demons. And what he's saying is, if someone's doing these mighty works, like this kind of stuff, they're on my team. Okay. Like that's, I think that's the takeaway. Yeah. Because they're, the disciples' assumption is that this person isn't with us, so they must not be on our team. Mm. Right? That's their assumption. Like, oh, they're not a part of our crew, therefore they're not really on Jesus' crew. Got and it. he's he's pointing out something like, hold up, team. Like, just because they're not with us right now, if anyone does something in my name, they're demonstrating faith in me, and therefore they're on the team. He also leaves like, there's no middle ground here. You're either for him or against him. Mm. There's not like a neutral place you can hang out. And so like this idea of agnosticism, like I'm not really sure. Well, I can tell you what this indicates is that if you're for him, you're for him. If you're not for him, you're not like, you're not, uh, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. There's no middle ground here. You're either on the team or you're not. And if you're not on the team, you're, you're opposed to him. Yeah. I think it was Lewis that said, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said, there is no neutral ground. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. So there's no neutrality. Like, the idea that there's this yeah, neutrality or gray in the world when it comes to allegiance to Christ, that's, that's a myth. Yeah, I was listening to a guy, uh, a pastor, who was talking to a crowd on the street and they were all yelling at him and, and he had a microphone allowing people to come up and talk. And it was um, a lot of agnostics and they call postmodernists and those who claim Christ, but also at the same time claim that all ways lead to God. Right. And so this girl was saying that, um, you know, who are you to say that all ways don't lead to heaven? And he goes, because Jesus said so. <laughs> Boom. And she goes, well, where does it say that? And then he quotes the scripture. Right. Or and and uh, she was like, well, if God made man in his image, then um, you're saying that man is not good, is not contradicting itself. And he was just quoting scripture and in the word. And um, he was saying, look, guys, all of you are, are, are claiming Christ and claiming these, these wooden idols of, of all of these other world religions. And it's completely contradictory to what Jesus actually right. said. You're just claiming Jesus because you've heard it before. And then you're claiming every other world religion as well, which is, is he goes, it's just like you said, was my point was it's, it's e e Jesus is either, either the son of God and the only way yep. or 
he is a lunatic and shouldn't listen to anything that he says. There's nothing, there's no in between. And there's such a huge movement of people who are saying, who are open to all the different walks of life. Right. And then Jesus is clearly, clearly saying, if you're not for us, you're against us. There's no middle ground. Yeah. And he'll, I mean, that, that reference is to John 14, six, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Not I am a way, a truth, and a life, right? There's not, uh, Jesus isn't one of the options. He's the option. And so there, there's definitely an exclusivity to his claims. Um, in this text, as we kind of, we, we get some clarity maybe on what it says. Any other clarity needed, you think? Um, my last thing on mine, it says, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, will never lose his reward. Yeah, that's an interesting like tidbit. So why do you think he, why do you think that he said will never, almost as if the assumption is that there may be, like knowing that we may think that we could lose a reward, or maybe he was just really putting an exclamation point on the end of. Yeah, and it's related to that first part, right? For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, so now he's going to reassert that point. If you're not for us, or if if you uh, are not against us, then you're for us. And so then he reinforces it with whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ. So that's somebody who's for you. Like he's now speaking about his apostles. Mm. If somebody, uh, you know, shows you favor, they will not lose their reward. So there, there's some sort of benefit uh, that they receive because they're showing you favor. They're not against you. They're for you. They're supporting you. What the reward is, I mean, is it eternal life? What I mean, he doesn't unpack that. Yeah. But he's doubling down on this point that, look, you're going to face opposition, but those that aren't opposed to you are actually in support of you. Um, and I don't, yeah, it, he doesn't clarify what that reward me is, but there's some sort of reward or benefit they get because they're for you and they've supported you. And he's speaking specifically to them about the, you know, as disciples and apostles that will go out and be messengers and face rejection on many occasions, but the times that they don't. Um, he kind of reminds me of when he sends them out two by two. He says, when you go into a town and knock, you know, you go to a house, if anyone receives you, go in to their house, eat, you know, accept whatever they provide for you. If you go to another house and they don't receive you, like dust your feet off, reject them, like don't waste your time, move on. And so there was this sense in which, man, you're going you're gonna to face opposition, don't waste your time with the opposition. Continue to look for those people of peace is what the, the phrasing in Luke's gospel is. And, you know, spend time with the people that receive you and show favor. So those that are for you um, because they're not against you. What did that podcast tell you the other day in terms of count the number of times that Jesus uh, walked away? Walked away. Yeah. 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 And, people. And he doesn't just he doesn't just sit there, uh, you know, sulking or or um, really trying to convince people who are just completely opposed and blatantly mocking yeah. him. He's like, you're not getting it right now. I'm, not, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the next place. Yeah. That's hard to do when it's people you know. Mm -hmm. If you are in a work environment and 
you've got coworkers that are just completely opposed to Christ and you're like, I want to, I want to share Christ with them. Well, they, you know, some people take the long view and they're like, I'm going to win them over in 20 years. And, you know, yeah, sure. Be kind to them, be Christ-like in front of them and to, towards them. But there's a sense in which when you go and share the gospel and you, you try to relay the message of, of Christ on his death, his resurrection, and they're like, I'm good, thanks. Well, now look somewhere else and, and start pursuing someone else. You can continue to pray for them, but don't spin your wheels there. Yeah. So in terms of what this may mean for the disciples yeah. in this time, uh, he's letting them know there's going to be people out there who know my name, who are doing good things in my name. Don't stop them. You're not the only ones yeah. who are following me almost. It's yeah, like I think their assumption was we're the special called ones. We're the ones that are have been uh, deputized to go drive out demons and represent him. And so they needed a reality check that there are going to be others that do things in my name and don't stop them. Yeah. It's like they are like, I know Jesus. You don't. Yeah. You haven't met him. So yeah, there was that. this kind of air of exclusivity that maybe they had and felt and an attitude or a posture demonstrated here. And so as you think about how you wrestle with that, how does that hit the ground for us today? Um, I know as a, as a pastor, it's very easy and sometimes tempting to think that what happens in my local church congregation is kind of the, the prime time. Or to look at maybe other ministries or other churches or other pastors that maybe have bigger congregations or a greater influence or whatever to go, oh, God must really favor them and maybe diminish what I'm doing. And so there can be this kind of territorialism or this my brand of Christianity is better than your brand of Christianity. And that can sometimes come into play with different denominations. So whether you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, you know, all these kind of other denominations, and you can start to, you can be kind of tribal. Like your your crew is is better or has got it figured out. How about for you guys? I think for me, uh, it makes me think there's just so so much in the Bible is is left up to interpretation. I heard a guy one time say that we have closed hand arguments and we have open hand arguments. Mm-hmm. And so and so you're gonna hear a lot of people use the name of Jesus and you know, a closed hand argument, you know, is is Jesus the only way to God? It's a closed hand argument. Is Jesus coming back? It's a closed hand argument. When's he coming back? Don't know. Yeah. That's open handed. Right. And I think it's really easy to create divisions and we kind of just naturally want to do that. We want to, we, you know, when I became a Christian, I, you know, started talking with my brother about it and we were like, cool. So what do we believe about Jesus? What do we believe about Christianity and about God? And then you look at all of these different denominations and you look at what do we believe about baptism and what do we believe about the sinner's prayer and what do we meet no you know, believe about Arminianism or Calvinism and people naturally want to take God and put him in, in, in their box that yeah. fits their way of thinking based on their culture. And, um, I'm very prideful in, in that respect. And, um, 
and find myself judging people on open-handed arguments. Mm. Uh, That's really my, good. my human nature. Yeah. Yeah. How about for you? If you kind of walk away from this text and say, I'm a daughter of the king, I'm a Christ follower, how do I wrestle with this truth today? I think I um, kind of piggyback off Parker in like thinking of just the first line, thinking like how sometimes my brain can be a little legalistic mm. and thinking like, you know, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop. Like, we're the police. We got you. You know? Yeah. Like, Don't I'll worry. Do... We took care of it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <You're welcome. laughs> and, we got you. And he's like, Don't stop him. It's like, it's the same thing. Like, seeing other people meeting other women who do other things in their prayer time or whatever it may be and thinking like, is it right or wrong? But, it, but it's like, what do they believe? That's okay. Like it's yeah. in the name of Jesus. They believe in Jesus. Like they love Jesus and we do things different. That's okay. Cause like we're, we're under the same. Yeah. Trinity. <laughs> I just thought of a, uh, a scenario like in my house with my kids, Sometimes my kids will try to kind of be the favored one, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I imagine a scenario where what if one of my kids was, like, back cleaning their room, and then they kind of – it spilled out of the room, and they were cleaning the hallway and the living room, and they were just tidying up the house. And one of my other siblings – or one of my other kids goes in there and is like, hey, you need to stop that. They only said clean the room. You are disobeying what they said. And they come to me, Dad, you'll never believe it. They, yeah. after they cleaned the room, they thought, oh, we're going to clean the house. And I, don't worry, I stopped them. <laughs> and I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, no, that's great. Clean the whole house. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny how, how this might have played out. So <laughs> anyway, good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you both for being here. It was a real joy. First time guest, but not last time. We're going to have Amy back for sure. Parker, thanks for we, – we like having you too. Thanks, man. Good, good buddy. Yeah, that was uh, fun. If, if you're listening to this podcast and you have questions, if something that came up um, that – something we talked about, maybe something we didn't talk about in terms of what you see in this text, please email me, takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions for these guys, uh, you can email me and I'll get to them and, and ask those questions and get back with you. But – be sure to subscribe, like, share, do all the stuff you're supposed to do with these things because it helps others find us and hopefully they would find encouragement in our, the time we spend in the Word, but also that they too would be encouraged to take and read the Word of God. Thank you so much for listening and your support, and I hope you go out there and truly engage in God's Word. Blessings. Blessings.